Welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. The following message was previously recorded at the Garden Church in downtown Long Beach, California. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to start where we ended last week, and then we're going we're to continue into this new subject, okay? So last week we ended, we had one service I was in a hurry because I had to take off to a memorial service, um, which wasn't funny. And, um, but we, I went through like these practices really quickly. So I wanted to put those up, talk about what is it, how do we practice extravagant generosity. And here's what I'm calling our garden church to. If you're new, so glad you're with us. But this is what we're inviting you into, practicing the way of Jesus. Um, but here are the, the, the first one. Uh, step number one, I want us to say thank you all the time. This is a discipline of gratitude. In Romans chapter 1, if you read Romans, there's some highlights. Paul basically says, ingratitude leads to idolatry, idolatry leads to immorality, and immorality leads to imprisonment. So rather than getting us to be slaves of some other thing, sensuality and sexuality, those things, let's just start with gratitude, okay? So a discipline to prevent that type of life is gratitude. So let's practice gratitude, saying thank you all the time. I've never met a generous person that wasn't thankful. Number two is a new one. I, it was just an idea. I thought, wouldn't it be great to be known at the garden or around the city as a generous church if businesses would know us as generous tippers? So I want to invite those of you that have the resource to or discipline yourself so that you can do this. Tip 30%. And so I want everyone to tip 30% on a bill. That means you eat less. I was talking to a friend. They went out on a date night. They shared a meal to tip 30%. Now, all week long, I've been getting text messages and emails about this particular discipline. It's amazing. People, I, I, you're laughing, but like I went into a, a coffee shop and they asked if I went to the garden because of the tip. That's what I'm talking about. Could you imagine if just the economy is just lifted by our generosity in the city? That's just tipping. So all the baristas, all the waiters, you're welcome. God bless you. Highly favored ones. Let's just be generous and, and tip. Um, the third discipline is just to random acts of, of giving, random acts of giving. And this is an important one. I want us to, to learn to walk into any shop, restaurant, to be walking on the street, looking for opportunities to restore people, release people, and reach people with our resources. So that we can give a blessing, we could give financially. Um, uh, I, I shared this, I, I don't know if I, was this? No, it was on Sunday night or Monday. I didn't share it last week. Um, this week, Alex and I, this is crazy. We were, we were walking back from Cafe Neo where we just gave a 30% tip and it was hard to do that. And uh, I'm having to recalculate my, my tips. Like, so usually I'm used to like the 20%, that's easy calculation. Not very good at math, so now I'm trying to figure out what's 30%, so I'm pulling out my calculator. Anyways, um, any math? Failures in here? Yeah, okay. You're in a comfortable, safe place. So welcome. Um, we were walking. We went to Ralph's to get some stuff for our house church for hospitality. And um, we were just getting a few things. And we were in self-checkout line. And there was a family there, a mom and two daughters, um, older daughters. They were, they were really concerned about the coupons they had. They were buying chicken that I wouldn't buy. I buy organic chicken breasts. Um, they were buying the other kind. And... Um, <laughs> But they were really concerned about the, the coupons. And it was a 19, $19 off, so it was $9.51. And they were like counting out cash. And I was like, oh, I'll just stick my card in. This is, I'm talking about being generous. I'll just stick the card in. They first thought I was giving them a discount, even something else, like putting in my membership number or something. 
And then the mom realizes I'm paying for it and she loses it hysterically. She, oh, praise Jesus, it was a scene. Like, it was $9.51. And it wrecked me, I was like, gosh, like the burden that some people have for groceries. Just awareness. So let's be, and all week long, house churches have been telling me what's going on. People covering utilities. People um, turning on electricity. Uh, people are providing groceries above and beyond groceries. People are paying off debt. This week alone, that's what I'm hearing. People are going to Mexico uh, this week. We're sending a trip to Mexico. Somebody didn't have any money raised, and someone wrote a check for the whole amount. I mean, we've been seeing just random acts of giving. And brothers and sisters, this is, I want to be known for this. And remember, it's not how much you have that makes you generous. Because you could be rich with lots of money but poor in spirit. And you could be poor and be rich with generosity. Fourth, you guys with me? This is just starting one. Fourth discipline is tithing. This is like the least favorite for most churchgoers to talk about. And pastors talking about tithing. Stay with me for a second. This is not a New Testament command. This is a discipline of giving. This is not even generosity. All of these three are steps moving you towards a generous heart. To give a percentage of income is not generosity. It's a tithe. It's an Old Testament command. Tithe means tenth. In the Old Testament, the worshiping community of Israel will get a tenth of their resources, their income, to the Levites for them to provide for the Levites, the worshiping community that was leading the, worship, uh, the people of Israel. I, I believe that as, a, that as as followers of Jesus, we should tithe. Um, uh, it's not a command, but I believe Jesus invites those that follow Jesus to practice generosity. And so for us, I want to invite the garden to practice tithing, practice giving a percentage of your income every single month um, to the local worshiping body that you're committed to. Now, if you don't, if you think Darren's asking for my money and your heart is like, I don't, I don't really want to be, you know, do that, um, I want to challenge you to give somewhere else then. If it's not to the garden, give to Long Beach Christian Fellowship, give to Grace Brethren, give to Cornerstone, give to Precious Lamb, give to Harvest India, give a percentage of your income every single month, no strings attached. That will shape your life. That will, that will discipline you into becoming a generous person. That's where it begins. Those steps are, are getting you towards the right direction. Now, let me just talk about giving real quick. There's different types of giving. Most of us do casual giving because less than 17% of those that attend the garden give regularly a tithe or money at all. So 17% of those that come, 600-ish people on a Sunday, and we have more than that that we call the garden home. Um, we have like 380 in house churches. So 17% of our attendance gives. Most, people, most of us give uh, based on casual giving. That's when the bucket comes or you see somebody outside of Target and you, there's a need, so you give. That's the easiest form of giving. The second giving takes a little more commitment. It's the cause giving, right? So Hurricane Harvey happens. Houston, there's a fund we want to give. There's a crisis around the world. We give. And brothers and sisters, we should be casual givers and we should be cause givers. Those are easy, especially those of us that have grace for certain things like I have grace for compassion kids. So we, uh, my family supports Compassion International. We, we want to have, as, I, I tell Alex, like, I would love to like, get to the end of our life and see like, hundreds of kids sponsored by us. Like, wouldn't that be so amazing that like, you get to like, the end of your life and there have been hundreds and hundreds of kids that you supported financially for food and shelter and education. 
um, that you just have a trail of men and women around the world that wouldn't have had that if it wasn't for you. That's, and so we, that's a grace, that's a, a cause in our hearts. Um, the third is, is tithe. So tithe is the third level, and that's the no strings attached. And the fourth is the last discipline. It's just generosity. It's where it's, not, it's beyond percentage. I have a friend who's a, a famous pastor. He's, he's been training our house church leaders. Um, and he, he wrote a best-selling book that went crazy, like three or four million copies sold, uh, made millions of dollars, and gave uh, over 90% of his money away. And he's like a reverse tither now, where he, get, he lives off of $3,000 a month for a family of seven in San Francisco. That's like hardcore, right? <laughs> so like there, there's that, and then there's, you know, you know, where I am, way over here. So he's like way over there. I'm like way over here. And I, I, that's inspiring. It's moving me towards generous hearts. But that's what God's got to do. Can I just invite you graciously? And it's not a command. I'm just inviting you. Become a person that practices generosity. And here's the why. If we want to see our city released into a better story with God, we have to be an extravagantly generous church. If we want to see spiritual strongholds broken in our city, we have to help break the scarcity mindset over our city. That happens through our lives being individually and corporately generous. Amen? Amen. All right. So I finished last week's sermon. You're welcome. <laughs> and how much time? It's not, oh, we're good. 10.05. All right. I got a sermon today, too. So um, you, guys, you guys good for uh, the next round? So the next discipline flows out in order for... Um, us to practice last week's kind of value, for us to embody that, I think it has to be married to this, this new discipline, this new practice, this cultural value. And that is a life committed to abundant simplicity. A life committed to abundant simplicity. So we are in a series defining our values as a church. There's seven of them. We want every follower of Jesus to practice these seven every house church to embody and live out these seven. Well, every church we plant in the future, our corporate church to embody, live these out. Because these are, are holding us together as the values that we have. We call them essentials for kingdom life. Um, we've talked about a life empowered by the Spirit, a life rooted in the Scriptures, a life um, uh, dedicated to extravagant generosity, a life driven by compassionate mission. What else am I missing? A life shared with loving family, and uh, this week is a life uh, committed to abundant simplicity. Next week, we do our last value, which will kick off a new series. It's called, uh, it's a life devoted to practicing the way of Jesus. And we're going to start a series that's all about discipleship around practicing the way of Jesus. My friend, John Mark Comer, a writer and pastor in Portland, will be here to kick this value ser- this one off. He'll be here next week. Um, and we're stealing his content because he's done a year-long series and it's so good, I'm going to steal it all. I have his blessing. He told me not to say it's from him, but it's all from him. So we're stealing that. Because he stole it from someone else, so it's fine, like Dallas Willard. And, and that's the thing. It says, freely uh, you've received, freely give. And John Mark t- texts me, he's like, freely steal as well. So <laughs> is that good? How about this? Can we stand together? I'm going to read this text. This is the word of the Lord. I love like the liturgy of, of church that believes that the word of God just read publicly is enough for the people of God to gather around. So I'm going to read this. It's Matthew chapter 6. If you want to go there, it's verse 24. And we're going to read this passage, which was the very first passage I ever preached in my entire life in Bill Doctrine's Intro to Preaching and Teaching class. Is that cool? 
Let's read this together. No one can serve two masters. Oh, sorry. You don't have to read this with me. I'm going to read this together. <laughs> sorry. Otherwise, that's a lot of reading. <laughs> Just listen to this and look it up on the screen. Sorry about that. See, I don't know the liturgy of other churches, so I'm just making it up as I go. So no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow, is thrown into the fire... Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Lord Jesus, we come. Uh, wanting this word to be reality in our life. And I pray, Holy Spirit, through the power of your word, through the power of your presence, in how you, your spirit, bring tra- brings transformation in our life, I pray that we would embody this passage as a church. That those of us that have been crippled by anxiety, fear, and worry, those of us that have been trying for so long to serve two masters, that have been burnt out, exhausted, that have been found wanting and disappointed, full of despair. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would refresh us this morning. Help us to live this out. In the name of Christ, we all pray. Amen. All right, grab a seat. All right, familiar text that anchors, that's so loud, um, that anchors our, 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 our um, value, abundant simplicity. So a couple of observations about this text. I'm not going to go into too much detail. I've preached about it. It's the text that keeps coming back to haunt me. Um, So I'm going to share some observations and then tell you what I don't like about the text, okay? So number one, uh, Jesus says, therefore. And the reason he says, therefore, is because of of his assumption of what it means to be a follower. So he just said, you can't serve God and money. So based on that statement, he's assuming those that are, are following him are choosing to follow God, not money. And if that's the decision you make, Therefore, everything else he says. If you don't decide, then you should worry about your life, okay? So, so if you're with us and you're new, Jesus is saying you have to make a decision. You have to decide, are you going to follow God with the rest of your life or pursue money and wealth and follow money, which is uh, for the rest of your life? So I'm going to just leave it there. This morning, you have to decide who you will follow, the way of the world or the way of Jesus. If you choose to follow Jesus, then listen to the rest. Okay, let's talk through this. He says, therefore, in view of this decision, you following God, do not worry about your life. 
And he says, do not worry three times. And that's what's frustrating to me. Um, because they don't have emojis or emoticons or highlights or, you know, caps lock. Uh, in ancient Near Eastern culture or the time that this was written, they had repetition. So when it's, whenever you see something said three times, it's a serious deal. And this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' giant sermon. This is what it means to have life in the kingdom. This is the ethic, the teaching of the kingdom. And he expects every follower to not live and walk with anxiety or worry. How crazy is that? That's why it's frustrating to me. Can we just be real, real quick, brutally honest? How many of you struggle with anxiety and worry? Raise your hands. It's like more than 60% of the U.S. struggles. And so that's what's frustrating. So right off the bat, we're already frustrated. He says, don't be anxious. And the word anxious, in, uh, in the context it comes from, it means to be pulled apart. That's a great word for what anxiety does. Doesn't it just tear you apart? I mean, I'm somebody that struggles with anxiety and panic attacks throughout my life. I mean, I've been on my back, counting to 10, holding my breath, drinking. I mean, taking Xanax in the past because of crippling anxiety by doing the Lord's work of ministry. Isn't it so twisted and backwards? And, and I, I think the problem with this text, one of the issues is Jesus is talking about things that are so simple, like food and drink. I have much more comp, uh, uh, complicated worries, you know? Like, uh, I'm leading a church, Jesus. Of course there should be worry and anxiety. Like, we have two kids and I have to keep a job and I'm running a business. Or Jesus, like, it's not as simple as you think. But Jesus expects his followers to live and walk without anxiety. And to to become the kinds of people that can live without without anxiety. And the reason for this is that you've chosen to follow God. And he's already described God as a father, a, a provider. And we come under this relationship to him so he knows what we need. We're in this trusting relationship with the father. Therefore, we don't have to worry about things like food and clothing and drink or your job or what you're, you're, whether or not you'll get a job when, you're, when, you're, um, when you don't have employment. And, and Jesus is teaching us as followers that actually we can live a life without anxiety. Isn't that beautiful? a beautiful promise? And he says, he says the pagans run after these things, or the word is strive. The pagans strive after these things. And the thing about pagans is that they don't have a relationship with the God that we have. Pagans worship the false gods. They worship gods where they don't have this relationship where it's an Abba, a daddy looking after their needs. So of course, Pagans should strive after food, water, and clothing because they don't have this beloved father watching after us. But, but those are pagans. Those are people that don't have a relationship with the Christian God. But we carry that God into our Christian God, don't we? I just had this conversation with a friend the other day. It was so funny. We're talking about plans in the summer. And his line is, yeah, it all sounds great as long as financial catastrophe doesn't happen to me this year. Like, we're going we're gonna to try to do a vacation together. And he's talking about, I'm like, a year from now, you're literally a pagan right now. Like, your mindset is that if you're not a Christian, do you live in the kingdom of scarcity where there's not enough? And things might, the shoe's going to drop. Or do you live in a kingdom of abundance? Again, he's teaching his, his followers to live from a place of abundance. Are you with me? Are we good? So pagans, of course, strive. But then he uses this, this other language. So striving is this present tense verb. And then he says, rather, um, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. And gosh, you know, this is the key to non-anxious living. It's a single, simple focus on living out the kingdom in your everyday, ordinary life. 
This is the, this is the key to non-anxious living, brothers and sisters. It's to have a single and simple focus on living out the kingdom in your everyday ordinary life. To resist striving like the pagans, but to seek, to, to search, to explore after, the, after God's heart in your everyday life. To, to have an imagination to see God moving in your everyday ordinary life. This is what Jesus is saying. This is, the, this is the idea of becoming the kind of kingdom community that allows the reign of God to rule our decisions, our habits, our lifestyle, to come under that single, singular focus and simple living out the kingdom. And all these things will be given to us as well. Isn't that such a beautiful Hallmark card? It's so frustrating. I have a problem with this text. I have a problem because I believe in it. I've preached, in, at, preached it so many times. I'm preaching it now. And my life is full of worry. I'm full. I've had panic attacks. I've, I've, medita- I've memorized this text. I would get panic attacks and go and recite this text. Do not worry, Darren. Do not worry. Um, is not life more than these problems? I, I've experienced exhaustion and burnout in the past. I've had nearly a nervous breakdown. And most of the Christians I know struggle to live this out. We struggle with anxiety and worry. So many of us are on medications to help cope with the, dis, the, the anxiety that we carry. And I think one of the biggest problems is we tell people not to worry. Jesus says, hey, don't worry because Jesus tells you not to worry. Am I right? Aren't you sick and tired of hearing this text? <laughs> I'm tired of, of, of hearing this text and not experiencing it in my life. Just like Matthew chapter 11. Look at this passage. I'm going to show you another passage I despise. Can I say that? No electricity, no lightning, okay. Jesus, Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Oh, gosh. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. When I look around, I look at our house church, when I look at our community, I see people who are tired, who are weary, who are burnt out, who are longing for rest, who are longing for joy, longing for self-control and patience and peace. They're struggling to make ends meet. Some of us are struggling financial, financially with debt. We struggle to be presence, present. We struggle to practice the self-control that we long for. We're anxious. And this is the church. I'm not talking about the world, what's outside the walls of this Franklin Middle School. I'm talking about the garden church. How many of you long for that peace and rest that Jesus is talking about? Long to have a life that's not anxious. Does anyone else long to, to live as an unhurried presence in our city? This is, this is what I think is, is at the key, what's behind this discipline, this value of abundant simplicity. And these texts, as frustrating as they are, I've discovered the secret. I've discovered it. After all these years, 13 years ago, I preached this for the first time. And I told people the answer to seeking first the kingdom when I, was, when I was in Bill's class was reading your Bible more, praying that anxiety would be released. It's to show up to the charismatic environment and get zapped by the Holy Spirit. And that can happen. That does happen. Maybe not zapped. <laughs> Filled or whatever. 
We can play it. We can play around. That's people. I mean, that's like, so you have, you have, you have different types of communities, right? The answer is just read your Bible and everything will work itself out. That's a, a Christian tradition. Others are like, just pray. Just pray and, and ask God to take it. Others are like, you know, just, just stop sinning, right? And then you won't. Others will be like, hey, just come to the service where there's worship and there's lights and people call you forward and you pulled your hands out and you get, and that will be the solution to the radical transformation of anxiety in your life that you're looking for, which brothers and sisters, we do all those things, by the way. So um, none of those are perfect, but here's the secret. And it comes from Dallas Willard. He said, here's the secret. Lean in for this. It's going to go up to the easy yoke. Here's the quote. In this truth lies the secret of the easy yoke. The secret involves living as Jesus lived in the entirety of his life, adopting his overall lifestyle, our mistake is to think that following Jesus consists in loving our enemies, going the second mile, turning the other cheek, suffering patiently and hopefully, while living the rest of our lives just as everyone else around us does. It's a strategy bound to fail. So what we do is we take our lives and we compartmentalize and God, I want, I want to get rid of this anxiety. And you have this crazy life of distraction, of media influencing you, the infinity in your pocket and internet. You are running around crazy. You're not eating healthy. You're not working out. You're not, you have no balance in your life. And so you think, if I could just read the Bible more, if I could just pray more, then I will have the life that Jesus promises me. And, and to paraphrase Dallas Willard, he says this, if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. Let me say it one more time. If you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. You can't just add Jesus onto a category of your life and think that you're going to experience the abundant life he comes to give you. You can't just add him or, or, or buy him or like a consumer product or, 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 or put him on off and on during your week like an accessory. He comes to radically transform your life inside and out. And I think part of the problem of the Christian church is we just think we have to believe the right things about Jesus and we'll experience the life he wants for us. And that's never the way it was intended to work. You guys with me right now? Matthew chapter 7, at the end, verse 24, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. See, I, I'm, this is what the premise of this whole next series is going to be. How do we learn to experience the easy yoke of Jesus? How do we become people of peace? How do we become people of, of not, uh, unhurried life, non-anxious presence, people of greater joy, greater capacity for generosity, greater capacity for the kingdom? It's not just because we read our Bible a lot or pray a lot or just show up to church. It's because we choose to allow our lifestyle, our everyday ordinary moments to be challenged and mended and molded around Jesus' lifestyle. You guys good with this? I don't know. So, I don't know if you are. <laughs> Maybe it's just being closer and I see. JD, does this sound okay? Do you think this is good? Yeah, JD's all right. I'm just getting some, some people I know. Thank you, Don. I appreciate it. Don's in the front. 
Sorry that you got shushed earlier. You two old guys were talking and interrupting Amy. You guys were giggling like little junior hires up here. It was so awesome. Okay. You are the junior <laughs> Okay, so two transformations. So a couple of thoughts. I'm just going to, so how do we change? How then do we seek first the kingdom? It's not just believing about the kingdom. It's way beyond that. So here's what I think. We're going to do, this is going to be in the future, but let me just tell you like some ideas around this. True transformation occurs when we partner with the Holy Spirit, when we replace false beliefs and narratives in our lives with biblical teaching, when we uh, replace casual relationships with covenantal community, community or meaningful community or family, okay? And when we pre- replace unintentional habits with intentional practices. So all of these values have practices associated with them on purpose because it's not just that you believe that abundant simplicity is good, it's that you learn how to practice abundant simplicity. Are you with me? One of the most overlooked disciplines of Jesus' life is that he lived a simple lifestyle. He practiced simple living or practiced simplicity or a secular way, he practiced minimalism. You can't avoid this in his life. He dies with very little stuff. He didn't have a home. And so not as a way of legalism, but as a way of incorporating lifestyle practices, I want to talk about abundant simplicity. Are you with me? Just a few minutes on this and some real practicals. I'm just giving you practicals now. So um, if you want to experience this idea of seeking first the kingdom, I think one of the, the, the secret weapons against worry, anxiety, busyness, exhaustion, and burnout is simplicity. So, Abundant Simplicity Defined by Jan um, Johnson, who wrote a book called Abundant Simplicity. It says that simplicity is not a discipline itself, but a way of being. It is letting go of things others consider normal. It is an inward reality of single-hearted focus, or seeking first, upon God and God's kingdom, which results in an outward lifestyle of modesty, openness, and unpretentiousness, and which disciplines our hunger for status, glamour, and luxury. It's good, right? We practice simplicity when we intentionally arrange our life around God. Oh, that's the one that hit me. What he is doing in us and in the world and let the rest drop off. We practice simplicity when we intentionally arrange our life around God. Here's another way to, uh, to talk about simplicity I want to invite you into. Simplicity is a lifestyle that helps people question what things add value to their life. What adds value to your life? And by, by clearing the clutter from life's path, we can all, all, uh, we can all make room for the most important aspects of life. Jesus, health, relationships, passion, calling, growth, generosity, and the list goes on. So here's some ways that my wife and I have tried to practice the way of simplicity, ways that I've learned that will help you. So anyone here want to try this with me this year? Yeah. Okay, seven of us. Great. So good. You're welcome. So the rest of you, you can go grab coffee. The seven of us, let's practice this. So here's some things that I've learned. And I think this is really helpful. And it's been helpful for my life. So um, number one, ways to practice simplicity or simple living. I want you to reevaluate and realign priorities and values. Reevaluate and realign priorities and values. So I started reading the Bible. And when this idea of simplicity started coming, I started to question and reflect on what Jesus says in those scriptures about who he is and what he says about his followers and what my life looked like. So you hear this come out of me all the time. Do my finances reflect the Jesus that I know? The way I spend my time, the things that I buy, 
the, time, uh, the community I surround myself with, my house, my car, um, all the things, that, the way I spend uh, time with my kids, do, do, does it, do those things reflect the, 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 the Jesus calling on his followers? Does it reflect in my life? So I started asking those questions. Another great question is, who am I becoming and who do I want to become? Ask yourself this question, reflect, take some time. Go and get some silence and solitude and tomorrow morning, wake up before the day starts and say, God, who am I becoming? Are you becoming more filled with peace or more anxious over the years? I think as we head towards 70, 80 years old, we should be more like Christ in our everyday ordinary life. We should be giggling in the front row like junior hires. I mean, truly, it's so amazing that these guys I have in my life because I'm seeing like the reality of what matters most. Very successful men. I hate to put you guys on the spot. The founders, founder of Vineyard Movement, Don Williams, um, been a part of Kingdom Expansion and the Jesus People Movement and theologian. And they embody meaningful relationship, living for the kingdom, meeting with one person, investing their life, giving everything away. I mean, that's literally, they embody it. And so they're, they're happier, they're more adventurous than most of the pastors that I hang out with that are my age or older. They're, they're just on this another level. And I think that shouldn't we be as followers of Jesus becoming the kinds of people. So are you becoming them? Are you becoming the person you've always wanted to be? And I think Jesus offers this type of life. So list those things out. In my journal, if I pulled it out, I print a copy of this one single sheet that has like statements of calling I've received with my values. Here are my priorities. And I list it out. So every day I look at it in the morning. Am I living these things out? And I've listed out those values. For me, it's about meaningful relationship. It's about obedience and surrender. It's about generosity. It's about living with a a radical faith. Um, pursuing a life of rest. So I organize my life and schedule around the things that matter most. This is the way of simplicity. This is the secret to getting to the easy yoke. As long as you say yes to everything, then you're not saying yes to anything. When you say yes to what he asks you to say yes to, then you can say no to everything else that doesn't align there. And you don't feel guilty. You're not burnt out because you didn't show up to that party because actually I need to wake up in the morning because I have some other values. Brothers and sisters, can I get an amen? Or is it just me? So, so here's what I do, and I want you to write this down if this is helpful. I, I, I bring this out to our staff, our elders all the time. Organize my life, schedule, and time around the things that matter most. And here, these are the, just the practical things. If you were to look at your calendar and schedule, would it reflect the kingdom value of seeking first? So I believe when you go to your schedule, most of us start with me and my job. On this list, it's number six. So you start with you and God. What do you need to engage in ongoing loving relationships? Some of you are in a stage where you're new moms and the idea of having like 30 minutes of quiet time is like so rare because you don't even get to shower without like running in and out and giving a pacifier. Any ladies here that can say, okay, you're welcome. So depending on what season you're in, it's gonna be shifting. But I wanna encourage you to create space, carve out space for you and Jesus. Even if it's listening to scripture, sitting quietly with a cup of coffee, inviting God into your life. Second is you and yourself. That comes before your spouse, by the way. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we can't love others unless we truly take care of our own souls. So for me and my wife, she knows that if I don't work out regularly, it's gonna impact our marriage. I'll be a jerk. 
I'm, like if I don't eat, like yesterday, literally it was like 10 o'clock, I didn't have breakfast. And like, she's like, hey, I'm going to make some breakfast burrito bowls. And I'm like, my whole disposition changed. And I, all of you already know this. I talk about this all the time. But God's working on that. But I need to take care of myself. So working out, surfing, um, quiet time, all that is scheduled before date nights with my wife, business meetings with my wife, time, leisure time of watching Stranger Things too. Um, <laughs> Or this is us. Can I just, this is us? Like, look at that. It's like the gospel of this is us, man, dude. Oh, it's so good. I used an illustration that became like the way I talked to our uh, staff meeting on on Wednesday. I'm like, gosh, Beth and Randall are killing it right now. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like just like next level, right? Next level. Um... Fourth is me and my family, and in that family, it's my kids, but also like my brothers and sisters, my mom, um, and, and meaningful community. So it's our house church, it's our group of friends. We're trying to create, make sure we have uh, time with those people. Then it's me and calling in ministry. Some of you have a calling that God's placed in your life that doesn't align with your job. And so you need to make sure that you're being obedient to that calling. All of us are called to live out the kingdom in our ordinary, everyday life. So you have a, uh, you've been ordained in the ordinary, as Alan Scott said, that where you go in your job is part of that calling and ministry, of course, of bringing life. But some of you have other things. So even for me, as a pastor, where it's all ministry, I have to remember, God, what did you invite me into? Put that before all the task-oriented job stuff. Is this helpful? I think it is. Okay, good. I appreciate Michelle. Yeah, it was so good. Next one. Uh, okay, so... Other helpful questions. Then you start moving towards the simplicity. I'll just go through these really quick. I want us to eliminate the constant pursuit and need for more by intentionally pursuing less. I think this would be the most radical witness to Southern California. If we combated the constant consumerism of our day in our everyday ordinary life. It's not that we need to just eliminate everything um, and live, like, because simplicity is a moving target, right? So if you're a college student living with roommates, your level of simplicity is different than a family with four, right? So there's, this is not, a, like, a legalistic thing. It's like, what's God inviting you into? But if we start challenging the excess, the consumerism that, that's in all of our lives, uh, as we move towards the holidays, just throwing it in right now, um, this was a strategic time to talk about this. I just think it would be really good to question, do we need all of these toys for our kids? Do we need to buy all of these presents for everyone? Do we need to just overwhelm ourselves with debt to keep up with our friends? Can we just challenge that a little bit? That's what simplicity does, is it challenges that. And, and here are the questions that my wife and I used to, to help navigate things to get rid of when we are eliminating all the clutter, but also decisions for purchases. Um, so this, is, this has been an ongoing process for my wife and I for about a year and a half. And we just moved, and our house was like 1,200 square feet, and our new house is like 1,800 square feet. Um, and it's like, how do we practice simplicity with things that have expanded? And we're still trying to figure it out, so we're not perfect. But here are the questions we've, stole, we've taken from different people. Um, does this spark joy? So if you're wanting to get rid of stuff, ask the question, does this spark joy, spark joy in my life? Does this... Does, does this thing spark joy? Um, do I really need this thing that I want to buy or that's in my home? If I have seven of these ladles, 
um, for cooking. Do I really need seven of these things? My wife at one point said yes. And I was like, no, you don't, okay? Uh, or whatever. Whatever it is, like, do you need 60 pairs of shoes? Do you need 12? <laughs> yes. All right. I got you. I see you. I see you. I see you. That's cool, cool. We can repent later, okay? So it's totally, it's just kidding. It's for those that have ears to hear, okay? And uh, just kidding. Oh, my wife said yes too, so there's nothing wrong with that, but she's still sinner. Um, anyways. She's not. She's, is she here? Is she in the back? No, okay, good. Um, thank God. She doesn't podcast, so it's fine. Um, does this add value to my life? Does this align with the values of my life? So those are the questions that we've been asking for a while. And then this week, something came up for me personally. And I have two more questions to add. And it's so frustrating to me that the week I'm talking about abundant simplicity, this thing pops into my heart and mind that just consumes my, like, time. Does anyone get, like, single focused on something and they, like, have to have it? Anyone like, like, let's, there's probably like 10, 10 of us here. Like, it's like, so for me, like a GPS smartwatch for like working out, heart rate monitor. One of my friends got one and I became jealous. Not jealous, I became inspired. <laughs> and, and it was like, okay, so I, it started me on this journey. I was like, oh, I can get the Garmin watch or whatever and start moving. And then it'd be, oh, the Apple III watch came out. And then it was like, what, you know, the Apple III and distraction, simplicity. And then it was like, oh, I got percentage. Like somebody was like, give, I'll give you 25% off the, the watch. And I started, I started going through, does this add value? Does it spark joy? Yes, yes, it does. Value. I'm healthier. Does it, like, does it align with my values? Yeah, I want to be healthy. Yes, I'll get no notifications. So, it's, you know, whatever. Um, and then Alex was like, I brought it to Alex. And I haven't bought anything expensive for myself in a long time. And I was like, I'm justifying. I've been generous. We've been giving. I've been this and that. And she's like, um, I just, it's just not settling well with me. I'm like, oh, dang you. <clears throat> and like, I got angry. I got like, you know, you know how you get when like you hear a no and you're a kid and you're like, you don't want to hear no. I threw a tantrum basically. An adult, I didn't throw a tantrum. But she says, this is what I was thinking. I was thinking like, how, what would that purchase how would that, re- that purchase affect the covenantal community we're in? Like, what do you mean? She's like, well, everyone in our house church. Like all week long, we're hearing stories of people that don't have, have car problems, only have one car that's looking for work. Some people have so much debt from a recent medical experience. This is all in our house church. And I just like sat down. I'm like, dang, I've n- I didn't even think about that. Like if this thing of house churches is really something we're entering into, shouldn't our brothers and sisters have, have like some type of decision in, the make, in, in making the decision, sorry, certain, some type of influence in making a decision on whether or not I buy something like this extravagant for myself, a few hundred dollars for a watch. Now that's, that might be so dramatic for some of you, but it is eating me up inside. Like when, shouldn't we ask the question, before I buy this for myself, does everyone have rent paid? Everyone have groceries this week. Everyone have enough like, to get around. And, and that, that like, the idea of simplicity just wrecked me. Right? And that's, I think, what Jesus is after. So that's just my personal thing. So those are some helpful questions. Is that good? I'm sure you're not convicted by that. Wardrobe. 
Wardrobe, I just go down the list like wardrobe, like simplify your wardrobe, simplify your home, eliminate the unnecessary things. Ask yourself, do we really need this in our home? Does this communicate what we value by having this? Do we need 10 TVs? Um, the next one's digital life. This is probably the hardest one to, to become simplified in. And we, we have unlimited access to infinity through our, our cell phone. So get rid of emails on your phone. Get rid of no- notifications. Limit your ability to be on the screen. Um, disciplines around social media, media. Get rid of your TV for a season. That's hard. Try it. See what happens to your family. Just things that we've tried to do. Diet. Simplify your diet. One thing that I'm trying to initiate with my family is uh, a regular, either weekly or biweekly, rice and beans only for the day to connect us to our brothers and sisters in India that only eat rice and beans. I was thinking for a house church, wouldn't it be great to come together and all we eat is rice and beans for that, to, to make it a, a fasting moment where we're connecting ourselves through a discipline to connect ourselves to our brothers and sisters that that's all they eat? So these are creative, imaginatory ways to practice simplicity. It should impact your time and schedule. So last two things, this is what I want you to add, and then we'll close and do some ministry time. You guys good? Um, Is this, I I really want feedback because second service is coming. Are these steps helpful? Anyone just don't like it because of what it implies? Raise your hands, honestly. Yeah, I definitely don't. Um, but here's what I want you to add to your, your life. Number one is Sabbath. Practice a day a week where you don't work. You get your family and friends together. You eat meals together. Try to shut off your phone or limit your time on a screen. Read together, play together. Just enjoy um, the, the rhythm of set six days a week of work, one day of rest. Um, we'll talk about Sabbath in the future. We'll teach a couple of weeks on it. Um, try to practice that. Add that to your calendar. The other thing I want you to add is silence and solitude. And I know everyone's in a different place. Some of us have more freedom than others. If you're single and you um, have less commitment, now is the time to build in the rhythm of silence and solitude every day. Every day I wake up in the morning and I, the first thing I do is make coffee. The second thing I do is pull out my Bible, my journal, and I create space because coffee's more, no, coffee gets me to silence and solitude. <laughs> and if I don't have that, my whole day's off. And I just, it's been built into a rhythm thanks to Bill Doctrum. I took a spiritual disciplines class and that has formed my soul for the last 13 years. And I, uh, I just want to invite all of our church to become people that practice silence and solitude, read scripture, listen to the voice of God, be alone with yourself and God. Um, so the outcome of silence and solitude, uh, or sorry, of the abundant simplicity in my life, as I've pursued this, my wife and I, we have experienced greater contentment, a deeper sense of feeling satisfied, greater peace in our life. It's the least anxious I've been in years of life, the healthiest I've been, all related to fasting and, and uh, this idea of simplicity, um, sense of, a greater sense of purpose, greater capacity for generosity. We've given more money than ever before. Greater intimacy with family and friends. My wife and I, we, as we started pursuing this, never had a healthier relationship. The last season has been, even with this new kid, this new little rug rat, um, we've had the healthiest marriage, you know, despite all the challenges, which is not always the case, and that's the grace of God we've been given. Um, but also has to do with simplicity, saying no to so many gr- good things to say yes to the great thing. Um, increased gratitude, increased joy. So uh, anyone else want those things in their life? So Jesus says, freely you've received, freely give. I want to just pray that God would release that in our church. 
Thank you for listening to the Garden Church Podcast. For more information about the Garden Church, visit thegardenlb.org.